This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Jerry Burke. Jerry had a near-death experience where she crossed the veil, saw light beings, and heard angels singing. And today we're going to learn about it. Jerry, thank you so much for being my guest today and welcome. Oh, Jeff, thank you very much for having me. If you don't mind, can we start on the day your NDE happened? Sure. Um, I hadn't been feeling well for quite some time and the doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong. Every, all the tests came out normal. Um, and at one, one point my husband said to me that I looked a little gray and I, in this like tunnel kind of vision, I said, yeah, I'm not feeling that well. And, and then I don't remember anything else. And we were, we were at his shop. He had a, motorcycle repair shop we were at his shop and I don't remember anything after that moment um I woke up after surgery they had he had rushed me to the hospital and my heart had been going what's called tacky brady real fast real slow and then it had um uh, stopped beating completely and I had what's called a third degree heart block which is, um, it's not like a circulation problem. It's an electrical problem. And my heart just stopped beating like a sudden cardiac arrest. Um, yeah, so they, they tried to get my heart going. Um, they got it going and then it stopped again from, from what they've told me. And then they rushed me into surgery to implant a pacemaker. So, um, yeah, when, um, when I, when my heart stopped beating, I immediately was in this place, which your background reminds me of um, incredibly. It was as if I was in the universe and I saw it was, it was like a very thick, dark, black, velvety kind of liquid um, that enveloped me with what I can only describe as love, just love, the energy of love wrapped around me and embraced me um the most beautiful experience i ever ever uh, experienced um but i what i saw in the in the uh, blackness were these incredible bright lights just as if they were stars all around me and they were all what i what i like to call singing um they were resonating, uh, not words, just energy, uh, love. So this, this resonating feeling of, because the, the senses merge, you know, you don't just have sight, you don't just have sound, because those are physical aspects of being human. The, what I was experiencing was a merging of all of the above, all of the senses and, um, and I too was resonating 
love because I knew I was one of them. I knew I was one of those light beings. Um, and the biggest thing that, the most incredible thing that happened to me in that moment that I was there was that I remembered um, the truth of, of all. And it's, it's hard to put into words, but I, I believe what happens is when we are born into a physical being, our memory um, of, of the truth sort of gets washed and we're, we're starting new in, as a physical being to experience the emotions, the senses, the, the, the goods and the bads of being human. It's like the angelic realm gets to experience firsthand what these what this physicality is that they can't experience as a spiritual being so we get sent to the to the earth into a physical being to experience this but in the process our memory is washed of the truth and maybe deep down inside we know what the truth is but we can't we can't believe that it's that simple we can't believe that it's that pure and that good um, but I, I was just thrust into this understanding, this remembering of, of the truth. And when that happened to me, all the baggage that I had, all the anger, the resentment, resentment that I had as a human just vanished. It disappeared. And, and I came back without it. I came back without the um, hurt. You know, um, but I came back because I knew I had to come back and I was told that I had to come back, but I knew it. I, but the words that I heard without, you know, without physical ears, the words that I heard were, it's not your time. You have work to do. You need to go back. Um, and then I was back. And I was back in a body that had been damaged from lack of oxygen and, you know, all the things that they do to get your heart started caused some neurological issues that I spent some time healing from. Yeah. So that's, that's the experience in a, the short version, mm -hmm. if that helps. Yeah. When you first arrived or appeared in this, cosmic like universe what was on your mind were you like where am i were you curious like oh did i just die or did you already know you were dead yeah so it was an automatic um knowing it's funny it, anita morjani wrote a book um it's called dying to be me and there's a part of that book that explains it so uh so well it, it's an analogy. Imagine that you're in, you're in a huge warehouse, but all the lights are off and all you have is a little pen light to see in this huge warehouse. And you know, there's a lot of other things in a warehouse, but you can't see them because you, all you have is this little pen light. So imagine that this warehouse is our, our cosmos, our universe, our existence, and all the things in the warehouse our, our knowledge and truths and things, but you only can see what you can see with this little pen light as a human in this physical form. When I crossed over, 
all the lights were flipped on at once. So it was an, an immediate like awareness, an awakening. Um, so the thought of dying didn't even occur to me. It was trivial in a way. Um, it was just some, it was a, a place that I had been to experience being physical, being a human. Um, but I was home. You know, I had come home. It truly, um, it felt like I had been, I had gone down the street to grab a loaf of bread or something. And now I, I was home and that grabbing a loaf of bread was so trivial not that I didn't appreciate the people that I had left behind, but I knew that I knew that we were still connected. We are all always still connected because we are energy. You mentioned that once you were there, all the baggage and all the problems of your life disappeared. Yeah. Did even the memory of your life disappear? I mean, not completely, but had you just forgot about Jerry Burke? And Jerry Burke kind of was a was a distant memory, long gone, until you were told, okay, it's time to come back. I think the memory of being Jerry Burke was as big a part of the experience as if I had forgotten milk when I went to get the loaf of bread. It was important, but it wasn't earth shattering. Um the the love that I felt for like my husband and things like that, it was still there, yet it was merged with the love that was I was experiencing where I was. And it hadn't disappeared. I still loved him. I knew he still loved me. And it would always be that way. Some of my guests will comment about the amount of love that they have on the other side. It's an unmeasurable amount of love. It's the love that they've always been yearning for. Was it like that for you? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, and there's, it's really hard to put into, into words verbally how expansive and immeasurable and, and um, intense. The intensity of the love, because that's all there is there. There's no thoughts of fear or anger or resentment or, you know, jealousy or any of those human emotions aren't there. It is only love. And the intensity of it, I, I, can't even think of anything could, that could even come close to it to be able to explain that feeling of that intense, that intensity of pure love. Was the experience more real there than it is being here? Yes. So when, as a human being, there is this energy field around your physical body where when you close your eyes, you can sort of feel that where I begin and where I end as a physical being, but as an, but as a energetic being, as a spiritual being, you can feel your, your essence 
about you know two to six inches away from your physical body. When you when you cross into this other across the veil, I say um, that energetic being is like a genie out of a bottle. It just explodes out of out of your frame, out of this constriction, right? And coming back into your physical frame is like trying to get a genie back into a bottle. It's really difficult. The reality of it is that the um, energetic part of me is the only part of me. So, you know, this physical this physical frame is just the illusion of that we have as being humans on this planet. But the energetic part of me is is the only part of me that truly exists. It's the only part of you that truly exists. And so, yes, that was much more real to me there because here I am constricted and, and, you know, I can't expand as much here as I am able to there. You're not the only one that has mentioned it's like being a genie in a bottle. And it makes me wonder if the original story was somebody who had had an NDE and created a story out of it. Oh, I don't, yeah. I don't know if there's one author that you can credit that story to, or it's just some ancient myth, you know? Yeah. Well, I think there's always, there's a, a bit of truth to all stories. Yeah. I really liked how you describe space as being liquid like. Mm. Can you comment more on that? Yeah, it was it was so thick with that energy the energy of love that it really wasn't a void at all. It was it was quite soothing and like being in a this is gonna sound a little weird, but imagine being in a swimming pool of liquid velvet and that feeling that you might have the buoyancy, the cradling feeling. Yeah. Was there one being that told you you need to come back or were you hearing it, you know, vibrating from all the beings? Okay. So this is, this is a little bit bizarre. Um, My cousin, her name is Fran. She was in Ohio when this happened. And my husband called her. She and I are very close. My husband called her when I was in surgery and I was, they were having trouble getting my heart started. And she said, she told me afterwards that she dropped on her knees and she started to pray. And the words that she was praying were, Jerry, it's not your time. You have to come back. Now, those were the identical words or some variation of them that I heard. So what that tells me is not only we are we all connected, but we are all, and I'm sure you've heard this before, we are all a piece of God. We are all parts of the God energy. And so when I heard those words, um, I felt those words, it was one voice, collective. When you say you heard those voices or you heard them all as one voice, was that voice that you heard a distinct voice of somebody else, male, female, angelic, or was it your own voice? It was 
not female or male. It was um, quite reverberating, incredibly powerful. It, if I could put a voice to capital T truth, it would be that. Um, emanating from myself, emanating from all the, the um, light beings that were there and emanating through the, through the black velvet liquid that I was in. It's interesting to think about if you're in more of a liquid-like environment, then everything is connected more versus air, right? So you're going to feel it more. You're going to hear it more. Hearing and feeling almost become the same thing. That's true. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Other guests, I believe, have said the same thing, that when they heard it, they actually felt it too. Yeah, the the senses, the physical senses don't exist there. So it, it it's a if you could describe them, it would be a meshing together of all the senses. And I hadn't thought about, you know, being in a liquid as as causing that to happen. Um but yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. It sounds like to me you were describing the beings as orbs, like balls of light. Yeah. Do you think at that time you were also a ball of light, like an orb? Yes, absolutely. And I, and I knew it instinctively. It was almost like that that flipping all the lights on at once in the warehouse. It was just like, duh, of course you are one of us, kind of a, a, a feeling, the knowing, you know? Mm. Yeah. After you came back, how did you change? Oh, I, I was so different. I thought for a while that I may have swapped souls, <laughs> you know, like if I'm sure you've heard of the, the, the walk-ins. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know whether that's what happened or not, but I, I am completely different um, in, in many, many ways. The biggest is that I hold no baggage. I hold no resentment. I don't build resentment, even even for things that have happened that would probably have upset me in the past. They they upset me. You know, I still am, I'm human. I get upset about things, but I don't hold them. Um, whereas before, things would happen, and I would I would hold on to them with resentment and, um, you know, how, how could they, this person have done this to me? And I think the biggest, the biggest example of that was uh, my, my childhood was not perfect in any sense of the word. And the largest problem was my mom. Um, God bless her. She passed away a couple of years ago. She wasn't perfect. And she had 10 kids, which probably was part of why she was out of her mind. Um, but I held a lot of resentment towards her for, for the things that she did, the things that she didn't do, um, and the things that she continued to do, uh, a narcissism. Um, when I came back, I, I understood that this was just a passing down in generations of hurt. You know, she was hurt. 
her her mother must have been hurt. And in the same way, she may have been hurting her children. Um, and it just, that resentment released. And I only, I felt only love for her and the ability to, um, to understand, you know, and that happened with a lot of, a lot of things in my life. My ex-husband, you know, um, yeah, just releasing that resentment. Did your friends and family notice a significant change in you? They, they sure did. Um, I'm a lot calmer than I used to be. Um, I'm a lot less driven. I was a, I was a workaholic. And I, I think in any kind of a, a habitual behavior, whether it's alcohol or drugs or, or work, um, it's a crutch that people use to deal with the pain. Well, I had no more pain. So I really was able to just be in the moment, you know, that, that space between the future and the past, even if it's the future in, you know, two minutes from now, um, to be able to really sit in the, in the present and really enjoy the gratitude for just this moment. Very helpful for meditation. Um, And so people, and it's, it's interesting, my mother noticed it. Now I think in her older years, she became much more spiritual and and went through her own healing journey um but when we did get a chance to sit down and talk she said to me wow you're really different you experienced something big didn't you and i said yep i did you have a master's degree in engineering so if you looked at this experience wearing that hat would it be any different yeah, so um, it's true. I do have, have uh, two master's degrees in engineering. I was very driven, incredible workaholic. If I was wearing that hat now, I would, well, especially because the type of engineer that I was, was a wireless system. So I understood the energy in the airways. So I think it, I think it would really fall in line with, with the understanding that I had as an engineer. Um, I don't think I would look at it differently. Um, no, I don't think I would look at it differently. Do you fear death anymore? No, I do not fear death. Um, I will say that I fear, I don't fear anything. What I, what I, feel would be um, hurtful to the people I leave behind. So the people that are, le- are behind um, would miss me. And I don't want that pain to be on anyone. Um, and actually I've been, I've been with people who have passed on as like a death doula, they call them, just to help them to lean back into the arms of God when it's that time. They, you know, people who are dying, they fight to to stay here for the very every last moment, and I I guide them to just lean back. Um, I don't fear death. I don't want them to fear death. It is it's a birth and going home. 
When I was reading your bio, I kind of got the feeling that you had a life of fear. Yeah. How has that changed since your NDE? Yeah, it's interesting when when you're when you're a child, your neuro, your neurological system is still developing up until like the age of 10, 12. And I had been going through such a a difficult childhood, a lot of trauma that my neurological system had some difficulties and was wired differently and to being extremely cautious. I, I got all the schooling that I had so I could make enough money so I wouldn't need anybody. So I wouldn't, so I wouldn't have that fear that somebody would leave me or that I would be without money or whatever. Now, that's what caused my near-death experience to begin with was that neurological system spinning out of control. Um, what the doctors think now was a vagal collapse, the, vag- the vagus nerve collapsed um, from that. Um, I still have the physical damage from that neurological problem. And when I get startled, like I don't like going to haunted houses because when I get startled, I can feel my heart stop and then my pacemaker kicks. So, and that's a really uncomfortable feeling. Um, but as far as fear of not enough, fear of lack is gone. There's, there's abundance everywhere. And even if, even if there's no money, God does provide. And it may not be it may not be what i wished it to be it may not be the amount that i wished it to be but i i will survive and god will always provide besides the physical trauma that your body has had are there any negative after effects from your near death experience i think there's only positive um the people that i the people that i associate with now are different than the ones that I was friends with before. That may be one of the aspects that are different, but I don't think that's a negative. You know, I think, I think everything unfolds the way it's supposed to unfold. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. do you have any abilities that you didn't have after your NDE? I, have always had the ability to do automatic writing. That ability has magnified tremendously since my near-death experience. Automatic writing is um, having a person who has passed um, come to me and write with a pen on paper right through me. Um, And that started when I was like five or six years old. But since I had my NDE, it has really gotten much stronger. Yeah. Were you a religious person before your NDE? And if so or not, has your religious beliefs changed afterwards? I've always been spiritual. I've always believed in God. Religion is um, one of those constructs that I I respect people's uh, constructs on how they choose to practice their spirituality, but it was never one of mine. Um, It has changed a lot. I 
chose to learn Reiki um, because I wanted to, I wanted to really deeply understand the spiritual body aspect of, of, uh, of our spirituality. And um, when I went for the training, um, I had incredible uh, experiences when they do what's called a placement. If you're familiar with Reiki, they do a placement. Um, and I experienced um, the pain in my hands and my feet that Jesus felt when he was nailed to the cross. And I felt the, the, the sorrow of his mother, Mary, when she lost her son. So I had these kinds of really deep spiritual and religious, I guess, um, experiences since then. And I don't think that I don't think that that would have happened prior to my NDE because I hadn't awakened enough. You know, I was still in my I call it my sleepwalking era. Um, There's a book called uh, uh, Interviewing the Devil or something. It's by Napoleon Hill. Um, If you've read it, it's it's an amazing book. And in that, it talks about how um, the devil gains power over humanity by keeping them asleep, making them sleepwalk. Um, And that's where I was. I was just going through the motions and devoured in fear and things like that. Now, afterwards, I um, am very wide awake um, and... I think that those experiences that I had during placements of the Reiki, I don't think it would have happened prior to that, you know? What do you think inspires you about your experience? Knowing the truth, you know, remembering. It's been incredibly inspirational. Um, Realizing that there is so much more and knowing that there's so much more. Um, than what we have here between just between each other and and the little interfaces that we have um, as a humanity, the interfaces that we have with each other that we think, you know, is so important because, you know, he doesn't agree with me or the price of gas is whatever. And, you know, all these little things are, are trivial. They are, they're not the truth. They're an illusion on this earth. Hmm. So that inspires me to know that that's just, I sort of chuckle a little bit when I, when I get a glimpse of the news and I don't really watch the news, but when I sometimes catch a glimpse of the news, I I chuckle a little bit because it sounds so serious and it's, um, it's just this physical, you know, existence. It really means nothing. You're the author of the book, Navigation for the Soul, Your Guide on the Path from Darkness to Light. How did you come up with that title? Well, so the kind of engineer that I, that I was, was navigation systems. And I used wireless communication to do that through satellites and navigating things like um, drones and missiles and things. Um, so when I when I came back from my NDE, the the 
purpose that I came back for, the work that I had to do was to guide people to use spiritual guidance. You teach people how to use spiritual guidance to live their lives as if heaven on earth, right? As if this, there is only love. And because I was a, a GPS kind of navigation systems engineer, the book became navigation for the soul. And the darkness to light is the darkness is the before my NDE, the, the NDE awakened me. So the darkness is being asleep, sleepwalking. The light is, is living uh, life awakened. Do you think people can tune into the messages of the universe without having an NDE? Yes. And that's what I want to teach them. Um, so what, can I tell you a little bit about the sure. book? Yeah. Okay. So, so there are a GPS, a GPS, like on your phone, it has seven components to it, seven functions. Um, and there are seven chakras and there are seven components to your body's adrenal and, uh, system. So what I did was I aligned the, uh, seven parts of the GPS with the seven parts of your chakras and the seven components in your uh, adrenal system so that you can focus on the part of your physical body that receives the crown chakra is the part of your body that receives and is connected is spiritually connected to heaven and tune that part of your body and your energetic body, your physical body and your energetic body, focus on that one place and tune it so it is easier to receive. And there are seven of them. The crown chakra is, is simply the antenna. Now, if you look, go to the Bible, Psalm 9111, it says, the angels are trying to talk to you. The angels are, I put them here to, to guide you, you know? And so the work that I was sent back to do was to help people use this. Our body is a tool. The crown chakra is just the antenna. We have the whole, all the pieces for being a GPS. Without going into detail, can you list the seven parts of the GPS and what their corresponding chakra is? Sure, sure. So the most important is not the crown chakra. The most important is the heart chakra, and I'll tell you why. The heart acts like the oscillator, and if so, if you're if you're tuning into a radio station, you you either push the the tuner button or you turn. If you're older, like me, you you remember turning the dial, and that changes the frequency of the oscillator. When you get the oscillator tuned to the frequency of the radio signal that's in the air you can't see the radio signal but when you tune your oscillator to that frequency that matches it then you can automatically hear the radio station it's like magic right well if you want guidance from heaven you have to tune your oscillator your heart you have to tune that to the frequency of heaven which is love right so now as a human being, it's really hard to tune 
into love daily. It's we are living in a pretty heavy, dense environment, but there is one thing that is extremely close to love, and that's gratitude. They say that there are two words that the most powerful prayer consists of two words, and that's thank you. So the closer you can get your heart chakra to feeling gratitude, the the easier it will be to receive. So that's the heart chakra. It's also the thymus gland. Um, now the crown chakra, we, we took, spoke about earlier, and that's the pineal gland. Third eye is the... Um, uh, pituitary gland and that third eye is for its wisdom so you receive guidance from heaven right but you're also receiving stuff from everywhere else including the news right so what your third eye does is it says i don't want anything negative i only want positive good good messages so i'm going to block everything out that is a low energy. I'm going to block out my neighbor yelling at his dog. I'm going to block out the news. I'm going to, I'm going to block out anything that feels heavy to me. That's going to bring me down. I'm going to block it out. Right now the root chakra, when you block it, when you block things out, the root chakra grabs all that stuff. And since the root chakra is connected to earth, it sends everything that was, blocked out it sends it to into the earth take it away it's like flushing the the john you know um now the mixer is the uh sacral chakra so the solar plexus and the sacral sometimes i get them mixed up but the mixer what it does is it takes what what you see around you opportunities things that are happening information places to go, people to, to say hello to. There's a million things happening around you. You take the guidance that you've received and you mix it with what you're seeing around you, right? And then the next one is the, um, the uh, solar plexus and you focus down on only one thing to work on. All the things that you saw around you, pick one, pick one that, you know is in your guidance. It feels good, right? You pick it and you just take one step towards that. Now, the when you're using your GPS in your car, you don't just set, I'm here and I want to go there. So I'm just going to go enter in the directions, see the see the, the map of how I'm going to get from point A to point B, and then I'm going to turn it off and never look at it again. That's not what happens. We're looking at our, our GPS the entire trip. Sometimes things change. So you take a step at a time in your, in your life. You take a step towards something. This, this feels like the right guidance for me in this moment. So I will take a step towards that one thing in this moment. And then I'm going to check my guidance again, just like you check your GPS on your phone. I'm going to check my guidance. Does this still feel good? Does it still feel right? And what is the next stepping stone, right? I use this, you know, all the time in, in every area of my life. And I 
can tell you that it has never taken me in the wrong direction. There are there are times where before my NDE where I would have been frozen with fear, you know, knowing there's not enough money at the end of the month. There will not be enough money at the end of the month for me to pay my bills. And it paralyzed me one week into the month. What am I going to do at the end of the month when I can't make my mortgage, right? I don't do that anymore. I just tune into my guidance and I take steps along the way and it will always turn out the way it's supposed to be. It always works. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing a lot better financially, you know? It just, it seems to take me on the path, the believers, the faith, you know? The faith that this is the way it's supposed to work. And there, and that's heaven on earth. You know? The Lord's Prayer. Heaven on earth. It sounds like in a way you just surrendered to the fact that everything will be okay. I don't just lay back and wait for it to be okay, though. It takes action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It takes faith. It takes action. How do people let go of their limiting beliefs? That's a step at a time. It, so you've heard of the feel the fear and do it anyway, mm-hmm. right? But especially somebody who has had a difficult childhood, somebody who has what is called, you know, a complex PTSD is when your neurological system is not developed correctly as a child because of trauma. If you feel the fear, you can't take a step, Mm -hmm. right? So how do you let go of your limiting beliefs if you can't even take a step? But But without taking an action, you can't. You can't have the thought process that it's okay to take that step, right? So it's so you have to take your mind and put it somewhere else other than the fear. And when you take that, when you take your mind, your thought process, and you put it towards guidance, and you have faith in that this is my, you know, this is my guidance. It's not about the fear. It's not about me making the step and making it wrong. It's about being guided. You know, just as a for example, if you're driving, if you're driving down a highway or through a town at night, it's raining, it's foggy, and you don't have GPS, right? That's that's scary. You almost don't even want to move your car because there could be a cliff, there could be this, there could be that. If you had GPS on your phone, now you, you can almost not even look out the windshield. You can almost just have faith in your GPS, right? So it's just, that's the same process. Letting go of that limiting belief is having faith in guidance. And then it builds. You build that, that muscle. How do you think one understands what their higher purpose is? And once they do, how do they focus on it? So knowing what your purpose is, is different than knowing what feels like the right step forward. It doesn't have to be the big picture. It doesn't have to be the full answer. It can be just one step. Um, I lean on two things that can give you a indication of what a possible 
purpose in life might be. Um, the archetype quiz and the Enneagram quiz. So if you take the archetype quiz and, and there's links to them on my website, um, if you take the archetype quiz and you find out you are a caregiver, right? Your purpose might be in the realm of nursing or social work or something like that. And it's not necessarily that you become a nurse. It is that the, the actions that you take, the steps that you take in your daily life, if they are giving care to people or giving care to animals or giving, just giving care, then that will fulfill the feeling that you need. The actual high level purpose will come. It, you'll you'll know it when you when you step on it, kind of a thing, you know. I think that's fascinating how you mentioned about learning what your archetype is. How many archetypes are there, and what are they? Oh, you're gonna oh, it, <laughs> you put me on the spot. Oh, is it too many to list? Um, I I can name a couple. Like there's mm. the jester, there's mm. the magician. I'm a magician, mm. so I like to make transformation happen. Okay, you know. Um, but there's there's several of them. Because I thought I it was... 12. 12, okay, yeah, because there's the caregiver, which sounded interesting. Now we have the magician makes things happen. What did you say? The jester, is that like an entertainer? Is that an entertainer? Yes. yes. An entertainer. They like to make people laugh. Mm -hmm. There's also, um, I forget the, the, uh, the name for it, but it's the person that likes to take care of, of um, uh, the ruler. I think it's called the ruler. Mm -hmm. So he oversees things and makes sure that um, people are being nice to each other, that everything fits in the, in the situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you have There's a, several of them. So you have a quiz on your website and you can learn. Yes. And that helps you figure out who you are. Yes. That's pretty cool. Well, it, it gives you an indication of what your soul is yearning for. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's the Enneagram quiz, which is even more complicated, but that gives you an idea um, how you want to interact with other people and how you want to be interacted with. So that's more of like a social uh, social thing. But by understanding at least those two pieces of your soul craving, I guess you might say, what your soul craves um, and by taking steps in your journey towards something like that, you know, as you're, as you're being guided and you look around you, what, what should I, what stepping stone should I, I take a step onto next? If you see something that matches the archetype, uh, you know, will, will help touch those points with the archetype in the Enneagram, then perhaps you'll stumble onto something, right? That you know, you'll know it. When you know it, you know it. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And it fills you. It fills your soul. Do you think that we decide what archetype we should be before we come into this life? I think we are assigned. I, I'm not sure that it's... Um, 
like, I don't think it was, it was my choice. I think it was an assignment and that I, I was maybe had a say in it, but it was um, a group, um, a group assignment. You know, this is how, this is how we want you to be. This is the part we want you to play, you know, when you, when you are on earth, mm -hmm. this is the part we want you to play. And perhaps it is for my soul's learning. Although I, I really felt like it was pure knowing when I, when I crossed, I can't imagine there was something that I was meant to learn beyond that. You know, you were told that you had more work to do. Yeah. Have you understood or learned what is the work that you need to be doing? Yes. So the, um, the heaviness on earth that we, you know, people are feeling in the darkness, right? They're walking a path of uh, sleepwalking and living a heavy life, a, a life full of regrets and fear and that kind of thing on earth. And it's not what we were intended to be doing. We are intended, we were intended to live this life with joy. And so specifically what I am meant to be doing, the work that I am meant to be doing is to share this message mm -hmm. and get people to awaken to the possibility that it can be different. Hmm. So I wrote my book mm -hmm. to help. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, I work with people one-on-one. -on -one. I have, you know, packages for coaching and things to actually change your life. So, so getting back to like, what is your purpose? Wouldn't it be amazing if you could live your life, make your income, doing work according to your purpose, right? So I help people align all those things. And I do it one at a time. But when I teach one person, they teach one person. And they, the, those next people teach one person. It's, I don't have the, you know, I don't have the, the, the patent on doing this. This, the, my purpose is to spread this message. And the message spreading means that other people are also meant to spread it. And so we're also in the sixth sun, which is an incredible, I just saw that movie the other day. It's an incredible um, message being um, spread around the world, the same message being spread around the world that we are all connecting energetically on this planet with this message. So there's a lot of us doing this. It's wonderful. Yeah. What is your website? Sure. It's uh, jerryburke.com. Real okay. easy. Yeah. Are you a public person? And if so, if people want to reach out to you and chat with you, how should they do that? Oh, I'd love, I'd love them to. Um, they can reach me from uh, going to my website. They can reach me and if they want to send me an email or, or something like that, they can do that. Um, my social media is there on my website. And if they want to get a little deeper with me, I have a discovery session available. And that's basically um, like 45, 50 minutes, one-on-one uh, -on -one conversation with me. There's a, a question and an answer um, prior to it. 
and then we meet for about 45, 50 minutes. It's $20, but that $20 is then gifted back to them that they can use towards an autographed copy of my book. I will mail it to them, or they can apply that $20 towards a, uh, another coaching session or something like that. Hmm. That's great. You've written the book. You've got your website. You've got the coaching. Is there anything else that you've got going on that you want us to know about? I'm working on my second book. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, that'll be, um, it's, it'll be called Navigation for the Entrepreneurial Soul. And that, I get deeper into like how as an entrepreneur, how is building, building your own business, how can you do that with this kind of a method so that you are guided to really build a business that is aligned with your purpose? All right. Well, before we finish up, do you have one last positive message that you can share with everyone? Yes. Um, I'm going to recommend another book. It's not mine. Her name is M, as in Mary, MJ Ryan, wrote a book called Attitudes of Gratitude. Now, remember I said the most important part of your, your body's GPS is the heart because gratitude is as close as you can get to pure love on earth. And you need to align your heart chakra to resonate as close to heaven as possible. So her book is called Attitudes of Gratitude. It's an amazing book. Read it, please. That was the first time I've ever heard that, that gratitude is the closest you can get to pure love. And I find that very interesting. It's hard to define, you know, feel love in your heart. Well, what does that mean, right? How do you, how do you feel love in your heart for everything? But by being grateful, it gets you real close to that, that frequency. All right, Jerry. Well, thank you so much for being with me today. I really appreciate you and I wish you the best. Thank you, Jeff. It was great being here. All right. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.